Specially requested, and I love singing this song too. Let's put up uh, You're All I Want. Just draw me close to you, and never let me go. I lay it all down. Bye. 
If you would just continue to play something softly. Um, we have a few prayer requests here. You may have your seats for just a moment. We just want to remember or continue to remember Brother Danny Florian this evening who is still recovering. We also just want to remember the males who are not with us. They are doing better. Uh, but if we could just continue to remember them in prayer. Also, I have here that Sister Karen Morlier is at uh, her daughter Carrie's house uh, with the newborn baby, just helping out with that. So if we could just remember them in prayer. And also, I have here that Brother John Harwell is traveling in Pennsylvania, and also Brother Keith is working this evening. So if we could just remember them. 
And I have here to remember Brother Troy and Sister Connie, so if we could just remember them. And Sister Sharon McCafferty's mom, we uh, brought that need this past Sunday, I believe it was. She's doing better and uh, has been moved to a regular floor, but they are just asking us to continue to pray for her. And um, also, I have here, uh, my mom sent me a text just before I came up, and she just wanted us to pray for her, that she had a very special prayer request that she wanted to bring before us. So if we could just remember those, and um, I know we all have unspoken prayer requests every day, and so just uh, by the lifting of your hands, we serve a God who can touch those needs and knows those needs. We don't necessarily have to speak them, but uh, He knows them, every single one of them. And if at this time I could have uh, Brother Josh come up and pray for these prayer requests, and I'll have you stand once more. Let's just bow our heads. Lord, we're just so thankful, Lord, to, to have a place, Lord, to come and worship you, Lord, this evening in the middle of the week. Pray, Lord, you just can anoint our ears and our hearts, Lord, for the service tonight. We pray that your will be done, Lord, in our lives. We pray for the ones, Lord, who mentioned uh, in, in these requests, Lord, uh, the needs, Lord, the ones that are in the hospital, Father, the ones that are traveling, Lord. We just pray you be with them, Lord, tonight. We just love you and we thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, Lord. We ask it all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats. I do have a special this evening from uh, Sister Anna Pritchard. So if she could uh, go ahead and be making her way forward at this time. And uh, as she does that, let's sing that song, um, We'll Give the Glory and See. We'll give the glory to
I've had this song on my heart for a few days, um, but I just keep feeling like, no, I can't do it. Um, I'm too nervous, but um, I really feel that it needs to be sung tonight, and I pray that it'll be a blessing and that you can sing with me.
sing that song um, sorry Majesty
Sing it again now. Thank you, Jesus. seated just for a moment tonight. Don't get comfy. Just giving you a little uh, break here while we can get a few things announced here. Uh, Tomorrow, Sister Cindy Walter's birthday. After that, September 24th is Gabrielle Walter's birthday. September 25th is Ethan Pritchard's birthday, right? You're not Ethan Pritchard. (laughs) Right? How old are you going to be, Ethan? 20, and you look at your wife. 20 what? Really? Wow, almost over the edge. God bless you on on the 25th. And then Rebecca Irish, your birthday too, right? How old are you going to be? Really? Wow, 14. I have this great picture of the Irish family when they moved here and someday I'm going to show it it's just a great picture it's you weren't 14 then happy birthday on the 25th may God bless you give you a wonderful year two dates we want to remember October 9th uh, from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. we're going to have a youth event at the Irishes Um, it'll be for 13 and up and that will be on October 9th. That's on a Saturday, right? Is that a Saturday? It's going to be here. It's going to be here at the Fellowship Hall. No, no, no. That's good. That's good. Also, we are going, Lord willing, we're going to have a fall festival day on March 13th. That's Saturday, March 13th. So you want to mark your calendar uh, for those of you that are available to be here. Uh, March, sorry, November, (laughs) November 13th, uh, Fall Festival. So that'll be Saturday starting at 1 o'clock. We'll give you some more details, but uh, just you can mark both dates if you want, March 13th and November 13th. But it'll be November 13th. I'm looking right at my my sheet here, and it often happens. Um, I have uh, so many things that I, I want to share with you and uh, things that are happening in, in different places in the world. But I, I'll just I'll, I'll, we'll give you an update as we, as we go on here through the week. But uh, this Sunday, as you know, is going to be our, this weekend is going to be our men's meeting uh, weekend. And as a result of that, we are not going to have service here on Sunday. And um, we have all of our brothers, our song leaders, our Deacons, trustees, everybody, musicians mostly, going to be at the men's meeting uh, this weekend. So we had an incident here last Saturday. 
where there was uh, somebody who was uh, passed out on our front porch out there and there were drugs found on the property here and so forth and Brother Tom uh, jumped on that and uh, someone alerted us to it and we had to call the sheriff and they had to come down and take care of that and uh, you know we just uh, these are the times that we live in so uh, that's part of the reason and we didn't want to put the folks that are going to be here at risk you know without you you always assume well nothing is going to happen uh, I think it's prudent for us to be thinking about, uh, you know, the, the possible situations that we can face and without having a full crew on deck and having the security that we normally have, uh, we felt it best on this Sunday. And that's not something that I wanted to do, but I uh, just felt on this Sunday we would not have service here and then resume again on next Wednesday. So we apologize for any inconvenience there, but... Uh, without having a full crew, I just felt it would be uh, the best situation. So we have a number of folks that stream uh, and connect, and uh, we apologize to them. We'll put something on the website uh, so that we have a notice up there for just for this Sunday only, and uh, we appreciate your patience in that. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Brother Jared Mead from Michigan is going to minister for us tonight, and uh, I want you to just to put your feet under the table and uh, just... Pull on the gift because that's what uh, that's what we're supposed to do. We are half of the gift, and uh, I appreciate all of you being here tonight. And uh, we just want to reserve this time for the Lord. And uh, in the middle of a week, it's great to have just that little uh, time that we can have, and we can be refreshed in His presence. And that's always a good thing uh, to drink at the well. And uh, want you to do that tonight. And we'll just. Uh, just trust that the Lord will speak to our hearts tonight. There's never a gathering that's in vain. There's never a gathering of God's people that's in vain. It may be different than what we expect, and God may do things different than we expect, but God's always got a purpose. He's always got a reason. And the best thing for us to do is say, Lord, you have your way. Speak to our hearts. Give us what you want us to have tonight, and you be attentive to that, and I I know that uh, God will fill our cup. Let's uh, sing that little chorus, Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and we'll invite Brother Jared to come and uh, minister for us tonight. Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same.
some of the brothers when they walked in the back were talking about how long a day it's been, so I know I'm not the only one that's had a long day, but I appreciate you all showing up, and I know uh, the Lord appreciates all, all being here, and he said if we would come, he'd meet us, amen? amen. Uh, I told my mother-in-law, uh, when Brother Barry called me on Monday night, I told her, I said, I have to be careful what I say up here, because I believe the last time I was here, I mentioned something about needing a wife, and I ended up with one within nine months. So, <laughs> I have to be careful what I say. Amen. Uh, the Lord is always listening. Amen. Um, if you want to turn with me this morning to, or excuse me, this evening to Judges 12, we're going to start with verse 4. Just say amen when you have it. And the scripture says, Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passage of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when the Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? And he said, Nay. Then said they unto him, Say now Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. And there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. Just bow your heads with me this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this... Lord, this opportunity to come into your house, Lord Father. I know we've all had a a long week and a long day, Lord Father, and many of us are tired. And Lord, I'm sure there's many stresses and worries that we have outside of here, Lord Father, that are weighing heavy. But I just pray, Lord, that you help each one of us just to put those things aside, Lord, and just to open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this evening, Lord Father, just to get out of the way of our flesh, Lord, and allow you to come down tonight, Lord, and to spend some time with us, Lord Father. We just pray you bless each and every one of those who couldn't make it this evening, Lord Father. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. By the way, when I said I have to be careful, I'm not saying that it turned out bad. It actually turned out good, but you still have to be careful what you say. Amen. I do know the last time I was here, I was not expecting that to be the way things went, but... The Lord has His own plans. Amen. So tonight I just want to take a a little thought that the Lord has kind of been dealing with me um, over the past year. I've been studying this and I've uh, ministered this at our home church and I hope it blesses you as much as it has me. But for those of you who don't know what the word shibboleth means, the actual Hebrew word means either an ear of corn or a stream is what the the, uh, actual meaning of the word is. But over the years, it's been given a much wider meaning to mean anything that separates or sets you apart. Um, that can be a custom, it can be a tradition, it can be a phrase, or it can even be a single word. And what it does is it distinguishes one group of people from another. So if any of you have done any traveling, um, even the least little bit, you know that when you hear someone speak or the phrases that they use, it usually is a dead giveaway of where they come from. Um, or maybe the traditions that they have. 
hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble, but I often tease my wife that when we first got married, she says a lot of things and uses a lot of words that kind of make me chuckle because I either don't know what they mean, um, it's not something we use in the North, it's not the way we say it, or I find it quite interesting that she can take a topic that would probably take me five minutes to say, and she boils it down into a phrase. Um, and I'll give you an example. I tease her a lot because in the north we say salmon, and apparently down here a lot of you all say salmon. So I never quite understood that. So whenever we go out to eat, I'm always chuckling at the way she says things. Um, another thing she likes to say is, all that glitters ain't gold. And, and I always laugh at her because it usually comes out that I'll be talking about something or a, or a cer- certain set of circumstances, and without missing a beat, she just says, well, all that glitters ain't gold, and walks out of the room. And I'm supposed to derive from that all that she's meaning. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember if it was someone in her family or someone one time we were having a conversation, and they just looked at me and said, well, that dog ain't going to hunt. And I stopped, and I said, I have no idea what that means. I actually remember going and getting my laptop, and I looked it up, and I said, you guys don't make any sense. Like, just say what you mean. Um, but I've, I've come to appreciate the way that things are said in the South. But I say all that to say that those types of things are the things that separate people who are born in the South from the North. And no matter what I might do or she might do, we can't, by the what things we say and the traditions that we have, we can't hide where we're from. Amen? Um, another example that I always give, and I know you guys know Sister Ivy, uh, who is French. I have a friend who attends our church, and she's French-Canadian. And while they both supposedly speak the same language, whenever I've talked to someone who's French from the country of France and someone who's French-Canadian, they will tell you that they often have trouble uh, sometimes understanding each other, um, whether it's the speed at which they talk or the way they pronounce things. And if anyone here is French-Canadian, forgive me for what I'm about to say, but I didn't say it. I'm just repeating it. Um, my French teacher in high school, I asked her one time, I said, well, what is the difference between a French-Canadian and someone who's born in France? And she said, well, French-Canadians, when they speak the French language, they sound like ducks. She said they're very nasal. She said they don't pronounce things correctly. <laughs> so I say that again to say that it's, it's a way for people to distinguish one group of uh, individuals from another. Amen. It's something, so shibboleth is something that just sets you instantly apart from another. Now, in our open, opening scripture, just to give you a little background for those of you who may not know, um, at this time in scripture, there's a, a civil war that's going on between, between two groups of Israelites, uh, the Ephraimites and the Gileadites. Um, and the Gileadites are a clan within the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, these two groups, they live on the opposite sides of the River Jordan. You have the Ephraimites who live on the west side, and you have the Gileadites who live on the eastern side. I kind of did that backwards. But these two tribes, if you remember, both descended from Joseph's sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Jephthah, who was the Gileadite, he was a judge over Israel. Um, And he raised up an army to fight the children of Ammon. And when he calls the the tribe of Ephraim for help, they ignore his call. But then once uh, Jephthah takes his army and he defeats the enemy... Uh, and has victory, the Ephraimites become really angry and jealous that Jephthah went fighting without them. And they start to threaten to insult him. In fact, they tell him that they're going to burn his house down while he's in it. And they begin to call the Gileadites outcasts. And this is kind of where we pick up our scripture, our opening scripture. And, And during this time, as they're fighting, the Gileadites, they secure what are called the fords in the River Jordan. 
Now, these are, are, are spots within the river that are shallow, and they're easy to cross. And the reason why they did this is so when the Ephraimites are trying to escape back to their country, their homeland, um, that they would be able to, to capture them. And so what they did, because if you'll remember, again, both of them being tribes of Israel, from tribes of Israel, they're very similar people. Uh, looked similar, spoke similar. So the only way to really tell them apart was to ask them to speak the word shibboleth. And the reason why they did that is because the, the Gileadites pronounced it shibboleth with an S-H. But the Ephraimites pronounced it sibboleth. They couldn't pronounce the H in the word. And so the minute that they said sibboleth, the Gileadites knew who they were, and they slayed them, they killed them. Now, one thing that I want to point out here is, if you look at verse 2 of chapter 12, you'll see that when the Ephraimites accused Jephthah of going to war without them, he says, I called you, but you didn't come. Now, for context, it's important to remember that at this point in history, uh, Israel has once again rebelled against God through idolatry and disbelief. And Ephraim has become a powerful uh, nation unto themselves. They have a strong military, and this has caused them to kind of become a bit full of themselves. Um, they think that for, for, the, for Israelites to have any sort of victory, they need to be a part of it. So when Jephthah goes to war without them, they feel slighted. Now, if you'll remember earlier in Scripture, this isn't the first time that the tribe of Ephraim felt this way. They actually had the same problem with Gideon. Now, the only difference between the time of Gideon and the time of Jephthah is that Gideon handled a little more dip diplomatically. Uh, once you get to Jephthah as a judge, he kind of doesn't have time for it. He just calls out the, the tribe of Ephraim. Now, again, Jephthah, or excuse me, Ephraim ignored the call for a few reasons. One, they perceived themselves as better. They, they thought their tribe was the better tribe. They were the better group of people. Uh, they didn't feel like they needed to help uh, Jephthah because of this. And, and to be honest, if you read the scripture, you sort of, sort of get the sense that another reason they probably didn't help is they thought that there would be no victory. And they really didn't want to end up on the losing side of this battle. So again, when God gives the, the victory to Jephthah, the tribe of Ephraim begins to feel wounded. Their pride is wounded. Again, being the more powerful tribe, the mightiest, having the mightiest army, they don't feel like God should be giving blessings to anyone else in Israel if they're not a part of it. Amen? So they'd become complacent and haughty. And they believe that no one else should receive praise for victory if they're not a part of that victory. Now, as we go through this scripture, uh, and I, I share a few points or some things I want you to remember. First, Ephraim, again, had a chance to answer the call that was sent to them. They had a chance to fight the enemies of Israel, and they had a chance to be used by God. But all of those things were too much for them. They didn't want to answer the call, but they wanted the blessings of the victory. They wanted the praise of doing the work of God without actually doing the work. Now, I want to bring this down a little bit to us, because I... I get the sense, and I hope it's not just me, but a lot of times we as Christians feel this way. We know what God's calling us to do. We know what God's asked us to do, but we find it difficult to do. We find it, uh, for lack of a better word, we find other things that seem to consume our time, consume our abilities, to, 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 to consume uh, the energies that God has given us to do what he's asked us to do. But at the same time, when that happens, 
So often we look around at one another and we'll see someone who's receiving these blessings. And we start to think, God, why aren't those blessings happening to me? Why, are you, why is this person receiving their healing? Why is this person, you know, seems to be growing spiritually? Why is this person's financial needs being met and why aren't mine? And so often we start pointing to other people and other factors of why that's happening. And really what it is is God has called us to something because he wants to give us those blessings, but we've refused that call. Now, now God has called us, each and every one of us, in several ways. One, he calls each of us out of sin originally. None of us would be sitting here if God hadn't originally called us out of whatever you know, denominational church we were in, the world, whatever it was. Even if you were born within the message or a church, God still had to call you to where you're at. Amen? And then throughout our, our journey as a Christian, God is continuously calling us to a higher place spiritually. He's, there ne- there's never a day that goes by that God's not asking you to come up a little higher to do a little more. And then the third way is every single day when we wake up, God is calling us to battle spiritually. Amen? So each morning when we wake up, we have that choice, just as as a tribe of Ephraim had, to answer that call. Amen? Every every morning when we wake up, we're faced with that choice of, and I I want everyone to know when I say these things, I'm speaking to myself as much as everyone else, but we have that choice of, when we first wake up, are we asking God, God, give me the wisdom to go through this day. God, let me know what it is that I can do to further your kingdom. Or do we get up and the first thing we think about is that cup of coffee that we all need? Is the first thing that we do is we look at our phone to see who sent us a text message or who's liked something that we've posted on social media. And I say that, and I can point at myself because part of my job is social media, and very often that is the first thing I do is I roll over and God has really been convicting me about that, that our first thought should not be these things of the world. Our first, what, the things that give us relevance, the things that make us feel important should not be the things of the world, amen. Our first thought when we wake up should be, God, what do you have for me to do, amen. Because those choices that we make, those very first choices of every morning will actually determine the blessings that you receive that day. You know, it's just like often, you know, people talk about if you're a runner or you happen to work out, that sometimes getting up in the morning and actually doing that exercise, going for that run, is one of the most difficult choices to make. Because you want to stay in bed. You don't want to get up. It may be raining outside. It may be cold. But after you do that and you come back, your whole day seems to change. You have more energy. You have more ambition to go out and do the things that need to be done. And it's the same way with God. In the morning, if the first thing we do is to reach out to Him, to speak with Him, to talk with Him, it, it sets our whole day apart, amen? It, it sets us up for the blessings that God has for us. And so often those blessings we miss out on because of the choices we make to start our day. <clears throat> now again, as I mentioned, uh, Israel's relationship with God wasn't in the greatest place during this time. And Ephraim as a tribe was no exception. So even though Jephthah was called to lead Israel, Ephraim didn't recognize not only the calling or who it was that was doing the calling. Now, it's important to understand that in order for us to recognize God's calling, we have to be tuned in to what God is speaking to us. Amen? We have to have built a relationship with God that allows us to recognize that voice. You know, so often we think just because we're Christians or we go to church 
that if God speaks to me, if God says something, I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to hear it and I'm going to know it's Him. I'm going to know what He's asking. But you also have to remember, Scripture tells us that when Samuel was young and living with Eli, that God called him three times. And all three times, Samuel did not know who was speaking to him. And the Scripture tells us the reason he didn't know is because he did not know God or did not know the Lord and that the Word had not yet been revealed to him. So just because we're called out of the world, we're called as children of God, doesn't mean automatically that we're going to recognize His voice. Amen? We have to build that relationship with Him first so that we can under, or hear Him when He calls us. And the more that we get to know God, the more we get to know His Word, the more we'll recognize His call. So again, and I want to make sure I'm really hitting uh, all of this home, is that the most important thing as a Christian that we can do, or I should say the two most important things, is one, to, to get to a place where we recognize when God's speaking to us. And so often we think that, you know, the only time God's going to speak to us is when we're sitting in church, when a minister is speaking to us. But God has given us so many examples in Scripture where that's not the case. God used a donkey at one point. Um, You know, we expect that, well, if God's going to speak to me, He's going to use another believer. He's going to use another Christian. That's not always the case. God could use someone at work. He could use a sinner on the street. You never know when God's going to choose to speak to you and who He's going to speak through. Amen? And I think so often, because we have this misconception of how God's going to speak and who He's going to use to speak to us, that we're not really listening for Him, but we're looking for the ways we think He's going to speak to us. Amen? And it's the same thing with the tribe of Ephraim. They'd gotten to a place where they thought, well, we know better. Uh, we, we've been you know, living this life long enough. We, we've had all these blessings in our life. We, we know what it is that God's going to do. We will, when, when God wants us to go to war, we'll know it. right? God's not going to do anything unless we're a part of it. And because of that, they missed out on a blessing that God had for them. And so often we get that way as well. Because we think that we know how God is moving, how God's going to do something, how God is going to speak to us, that we lose out on a blessing. Uh, I'll give you kind of an example. I was talking to someone the other day, and this is not a, uh, you know, necessarily put down on anyone or any other minister, but I said, it's funny now that, you know, our church back home has started putting our services up on YouTube. For many of you who know, YouTube will show you how many times a service has been watched. And I said, it's funny that I can almost, within a few hundred views, tell you, based on who preached, what their view count's going to be. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But what, what I was telling this person, I said, is, how many blessings is someone missing? Because maybe there's a minister that they don't know. Maybe doesn't have the style that they prefer. Um, isn't a big name within the message, so they bypass it. They don't listen. Um, I was joking with my mother-in-law when Brother Barry called me. She started calling everybody, saying, Jared's preaching. Jared, I said, stop. I said, nobody's going to show up. I said, it's going to be me and you. And I said that jokingly, but so often we see that happening. You know, someone will come to church, and you can almost guess, you know, based on who that person is, how many people are going to show up. And it saddens me sometimes because, like, God could use that person to say something. He, he, there may be something that you're praying about, and he sent that person to say something, to bring you the healing, to bring you the, uh, you know, the joy, whatever it is that you're missing that you've been praying about, that person might have the words you're looking for. 
But because of who they are, we've chosen not to listen. And so often, you know, we'll make excuses of, well, it's just not, you know, it's not my type of ministry. They don't, you know, preach about the things that, you know, kind of speak to me. And, but it was as Brother Barry, I think Brother Barry said it before I got up here, is God chooses how he speaks to us, right? It's not our plan. It's not, we shouldn't be choosing how we want God to speak to us. We should just be saying, God, speak to us. I'm here to listen, right? And I have no idea why I'm getting off on this tangent. But I think it's important for us to understand that we make these choices, just as this tribe of Ephraim did. We make these choices not to be blessed. And then we blame God that he's not blessing us. And so often, you know, I've had people come to me who have, you know, left the message and come back and left, and they say, well, you know, it's just as hard being in the message as it was out, and I'm not being blessed, and I don't see these things happening in my life. And I often ask them, well, what are you doing? If you're just coming to church and you're sitting in the pew and you're like, God bless me. It's not how it works. God does require something from us. Amen? Now remember, the Ephraimites and the Gileadites, and sometimes I wish these tribes had simpler names because I'm going to get tongue-tied here in a minute, but they were both tribes of Israel. Amen? They both had similar backgrounds, similar upbringing, similar genealogy. Not only were they you know, descended from the original tribes of Israel, but they were descended from brothers. Joseph's sons, amen? They both would have known God, about God, and about God's promises. They looked similar. They spoke similar things to the point that the only thing that could distinguish them was one word. Amen? But what separated them? They had a lot in common, but what separated them? It was a word. It was the word. The same thing that separates us from the world from those who, who have chosen to take Christianity and make it something that it's not. It's the Word. That, the one thing I love about Scripture is you take such a simple verse that you know, not many people will preach on, you don't hear about a lot, but there's so much in that one little verse. And that one little verse, God is telling us how important the Word is for us to know that Word. The only way, the only way for the tribe of Gilead for Gilead to recognize their enemy was the word. To test them with that word. That's what separated them. Again, that's what separates us. And we're in a world now that everyone calls themselves a Christian. At some point, everyone, you know, whether they're Catholic or Methodist or Lutheran, everyone just believes they're a Christian. But there's got to be something that separates us. The world wants us all to be the same. Wants to say that, you know, God is love and we can all be one and it doesn't matter what you believe or how you live, but it does. God's not calling us to be the same. God's not calling us to be, I hate to say it like this, but one big happy family. We are a family, but we're a called out family. Amen? So it's important to know that it's not just separating us from the world, but it's separating us from anyone who who has taken Christianity and twisted it and and manufacture in a way to meet their own liking. Amen? And we see that happening a lot these days. In 1962, in the Message Fellowship, Brother Branham said this, Notice now what a beautiful picture here. I hope these next five or six minutes you can catch it. Notice the holiest of holies and the way of approach made for the unclean person. They had certain processes they must come through. The first, the unclean must come to the outer court and there be sprinkled with the waters of separation. What is the waters of separation? The Bible 
tells us that we are washed by the waters of the Word. Therefore, the Word separates us from our unbelief. How could a creed do it? It's the Word. The Word separates us. It's the thing that lets us know that we are wrong. If you went, went to church and they say, it's all right to do this, and went over here and said, over here, and do that, and come to the, come to the Word. The Word's what separates us. Amen. The only thing that separated these two tribes, and we can break it down even further than the Word, was one letter. That H was the one thing that caused these two tribes to be separated. The pronunciation between that word wasn't something drastic. It wasn't something that, you know, maybe you would even automatically be like, you didn't say that right. It was so minute, so small, but it was that important. But we ha- again, we have to remember that the Scripture tells us you can't take away from or add one word to, to God's word, amen, one letter to God's word. That's how important it is. And we're living, today we're living in a time that is so confusing and I, and I always, I hate to, to say it this way, but I get hesitant sometimes to talk about some of these things just because of the, the work that I do. Um, but I work in public relations, which means I do a lot of writing, a lot of communicating. And for anyone who works out in the world, you know that you have to be very careful what you say, um, how you say things, because everyone gets offended. Um, just recently probably about two months ago, I remember writing a memo for the president of the company I worked for. And my immediate boss sent back some changes. There was one change in the entire thing that I wrote. And the change was I had mentioned, because we were writing up a process for someone who was stepping into into a position. And I used the phrase, he or she, because it's proper English. And I was told that I had to go through the entire uh, notice that I had written and change everything to they so that I didn't offend anybody. And I say that to say that we are living in times that are so confusing, yeah. that are so, that people want everything to be the way they want it. Yeah. They want things that make them feel good, things that make them happy. Yeah. That it's even more important now for us to be separate, amen? Yeah. And so often, you know, we hear things even from a pulpit. I'm not talking about here, but we'll hear a minister say, or you know, we'll get online and we'll hear a minister out in the world say something, or a friend or someone maybe who's even left the message will say something, and it sounds so good at first. You know, they'll say, God is love. Sounds great. They'll say, you know, we're living in the time of grace. God is grace. Sounds great. They'll say, we're not living under the laws of the Old Testament. Sounds great. They'll tell you it's what's on the inside that counts, not what you look like on the outside. Sounds great. But you have to be careful because there's truth in every single one of those statements. The problem is it's not the whole truth. And, you know, and this is so important to get that this is the very first thing that Scripture talks to us about. Was that in the garden when Eve went to the serpent, the serpent didn't twist every word that God had said. He changed one word. One thing. In, in, in her natural state, it sounded good. Because God said, that day you will surely die. But Scripture tells us Eve didn't die that day. Right. So it sounded good. It sounded right. But it wasn't the whole truth behind what God had told yeah, them. Right. Amen? Right. So again, there's truth in those statements, but they're missing something. They're missing that one letter, that all-important letter. 
It's not the full word. And I always kind of tread lightly here because I don't want people to misunderstand me, but this, what I'm talking about, is the very reason why we as God's people cannot blindly follow a man. I don't care who that man is. We have to take everything that's said, whether it's me, correct me later if I'm wrong, Brother Barry, but Brother Barry, my pastor, Brother Paul, whoever it is, we have to take it back to the Word. That's what we're called to do. But just like the tribe of Ephraim, we've become lazy. And we'll sit in church and we'll have ministers tell us something. And when someone asks us about it, we'll be like, well, this is what Brother Barry says. Well, great. Do you know for sure he was right? Do you know what Scripture says? Or do you just know that Brother Barry told you that Scripture said that? Now, I'm not saying that you should (laughs) just automatically come in here and doubt your pastor and not listen. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But God has called us to do more than just sit here and be like, well, Brother Barry said it, so that's what I'm going to do. Because Brother Barry will know Scripture. And when the time comes, Brother Barry may make it to heaven. But me saying, well, Brother Barry told me isn't going to get me there. When I'm standing before the Lord and I say, well, Brother Barry said it said this and that's why I did it. It's not what God's looking for, amen? He's looking for us to know for ourselves. So again, while these statements and these things that we hear sound good at times, we have to know that we know what it is that Scripture says, amen? We have to have it anchored in our soul so that when we're called, whether it's God asking us, friends, someone that God's asking us to witness to, that we will be able to utter that word shibboleth, amen? We have to be able to say that word. Because the problem is, is when you start to listen to these things and you don't know for yourself or... I'm sorry, Brother Barry. I hope I don't get myself in trouble. But there's been so many ministers that growing up, I looked up to. And I thought they had their ducks in a row. They knew Scripture front and back. Guess what? They no longer even go to church. Some of them don't even believe in God anymore. And if my hope was in them, in what they said, in their understanding, I risk so much confusion in myself and so much doubt in myself. You know, at times, I I grew up in a church that years ago, um, and I won't get into all the reasons, but the church split. And, you know, I often tell people that, you know, while things happen in our lives that we, we look back on and we think, man, I wish we hadn't gone through that. I wish that hadn't happened. I think it's also important for us to, at times, to look at what was God trying to show me? And I really believe that I went through that personally, just for me personally, because God was trying to show me, don't put your eyes on a man. No matter who that person is, you, you, you respect an office someone has, you, you respect them for the, the work that God has them doing, but you should look past them to the God that they're preaching, amen? Because if you're doing that and you're looking past them, no matter what happens to that man you're going to have that foundation. Amen? I want to go to another scripture. Matthew 24 and 4 says this, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the signs of the coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Again, we're, you know, there was a time when I was growing up, that we pointed the scripture to people out in the world. 
We said there's all these people who are professing Christianity that are trying to tr- uh, twist the truth and change what it is that God was saying. Unfortunately, that's no longer the, the case. We have people who were in the message, who, who have d- begun to do the same thing, who have, who have decided that what they've believed for so long wasn't right, that somehow they missed something, and now they're, they're, they're completely changing what it was that, you know, they're either changing what they believe Brother Branham said or they're saying that what he said has no bearing on us being Christians. But it's important to understand in the Scripture, you know, we often will quote this Scripture, but we don't look at the Scripture deep enough to realize that in order for us not to be deceived, there's a work for us to do. And that work is that we have to get into the Scripture. Not Brother Barry, not the other ministers. It's not even... and I hope you understand me when I say this, but it's not even Brother Branham's job to teach you the Scriptures. He came to open and to reveal things, but then it's your job to go in there and to understand them and to study until God reveals it to you. And again, I think as Christians, so often we get lazy and we just say, oh, well, we have to be careful that no one deceives us. Well, how are you doing that? We're hoping Brother Barry tells us. We're hoping that someone will point out when someone's... That's not what God's called us to do. He's called each and every one of you to do that. Amen? And again, we're seeing this more and more. We, have, we see so many eloquent speakers and people who, who can quote you know, message uh, quotes and they can quote scriptures and, and everything they say is, is beautiful and you, know, you like hearing it and it's entertaining. But is it always the truth? That's, up for, that's for us to search out, for us to speak to God, for us to have that relationship so that the God within us, when something is spoken, will say yea or nay, amen. You have to know the truth for yourself. and that You have to be able to say shibboleth, to know that word, to rightly discern truth from deceit. Again, I'm going to go to Brother Brandon's message, The Resurrection of Lazarus. And I apologize that I don't have these up on slides. I didn't have time, but I will have a lot of quotes. But Brother Branham said, Many times you hear it cry. I've heard people shout. Now, as I I told you, I hope, God has let me find favor with you that you believe me. I've heard people shout when it wasn't God. I've heard people cry when it wasn't God. And their sympathy sometimes, the devil wants to be petted. And it takes a real sheep razor to know the difference between the bleed of a goat and a lamb. They're so close, you see. So again, these two tribes, they were family. They were kin. They were so close. They descended again from Joseph. You know, they may have even gone to church together. (laughs) But only one group chose to answer the call. And you know, Brother Branham has taught us, and I'll read another quote here in a minute, but he says there's three kind of believers in any church. A believer, an unbeliever, and a make-believer. <laughs> and so often, and, I, and understand me again when I say this, I'm not saying that I want you to come to church and start looking around and, and deciding, well, they're a make-believer and, and they're an unbeliever. And that's not what I'm saying. But you do have a responsibility to be able to discern the spirits of those around you, to have that relationship with God, because... Very often we can have someone, you know, Brother Barry, I believe, preached it on Sunday. There's times that people come to church and they don't always have the best reasons for coming. You know, they may be coming just because they notice one of the girls here and they want to get her attention. She has to have that relationship with Christ so that she 
can discern what's happening. Her parents have to have that relationship so they can. So again, I'm not saying start deciding who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. That's not our job. But our job is to be able to understand what's happening in the spirits behind it. Brother Branham said in 1963, again, three kind of believers. And always separate these three classes of people. The Word separates these people. Again, notice he says the Word separates them. In every age, it's, that, it's been that way. Every age that it's ever been, it's been that way. When God sent somebody on the scene and clearly identifies it, His Word, then there are those that follow that claim to be believers, and they are. There are those that wouldn't turn back. They believe the Word. As long as you stay in Word, they believe it. But when it comes a little contrary, no matter how much God identifies it to what they believe, they say, well, I don't know about that. Well, that's the unbeliever. Or do you follow along just to see till you can get a chance to say, uh-oh, here we are, a Judas to stab somebody in the back, like he did. I know it would come out sooner or later. There you are. That's the make-believer. Every bit of it we see in the Bible. So again, we, to prove to God when we come to church, when we come before Him, our intent that we are true believers, we have to know the Word. Again, I know in the scripture we read, we talked about one instance in, in between these two tribes when that, they were asked to speak that word, but we're asked to speak it every day. Yeah. We're asked to show that we are true believers every day. And I'm not saying to other, necessarily even to other people, but to ourselves, to God. When we come here on a, I'll get myself in trouble, on a Wednesday night when we're sitting at home and we think, eh, it's just Wednesday. It'd be all right if I missed. You know, I've got other things I could do. God's asking us to speak shibboleth, amen? He's asking us if we're true believers. Now, I don't want to be that minister who, who thinks that every time someone doesn't come on a Wednesday, that, well, they're out. Because I do realize that we all live lives, and there's times that things happen, there's times that we're sick, but you have to start looking at what is, overall, what are your decisions? If you're, you show up one Wednesday a month, you might want to have a little conversation with yourself. If you miss one you know, once every couple of months, you know, I believe God understands where we're at. Amen. I believe he understands that there's things in life that happen that we can't always deal with. So I want to make that clear. Again, and I apologize, I don't have these on the screen, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 to 23, the scripture says this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Now I share that scripture because, again, I want us to understand, and, and, and for those of you, I hope this isn't elementary, and I hope I don't lose you, because um, I know we've, we've heard this and we've talked about this many times, but we have to understand what it is that God's calling us to do. Because so often we'll start to do things that we think God wants us to do. We'll start doing these works, not understanding that it's not what God wants from us. Yeah. It might be what God wants from Brother Barry, but it may not be what God wants from you. Yeah. You know, I may be called to, you know, to minister to those in prison. doesn't mean everyone should show up in prisons and start yeah. talking to people. Right. There are people who are called to go door to door and knock on doors and talk to people. God did not call me to do that. It is never something I've been comfortable with. It's never, it, 
it's one of those things that when I've tried it, it just doesn't feel right. I know it's not what God called me to do. But if I continue to do that, thinking, well, this is what God wants me to do, I'm doing something that God has not asked me to do. I'm answering a call that's not mine. And in that day when you get to heaven, you say, well, God, I did all of these things. But you missed the call He had for you. And so, again, we have to understand and have that relationship with Christ to be able to hear the call that is for us personally. So remember in Acts 19, and I won't read the scripture, but the sons of the chief priests, they tried, just like they saw Paul doing, to cast out the evil spirits. You know, they, they, they used the name of Jesus, and they, they tried to do what they saw Paul do. And what did the Spirit say? Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And again, they had missed the point. They had missed the call. They were trying to do something that God had not yet called them to do. Now, I, I can't say that it's, you know, had they had an experience with, with God that he might not have called them at some point to do that. But where they were in their, their lives, with their walk, they weren't called to do that. They were trying to speak a word that they didn't understand. They were trying to utter shibboleth, but they were saying sibboleth. And the spirit knew, the devil knows the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And two, again, when we're looking around and we see God blessing someone, so often we, you know, like I said, we want to blame everyone else, and and we'll pray and we'll we'll say, well, God bless me and God do this, and and when we don't hear those prayers, you know, just like the the sons of the priests were confused of why it didn't work, but it's because it's because we haven't taken the time before asking God a favor have a relationship with him we haven't done the work that god's asked us to do amen now there are times you know when we're new christians when we haven't quite grown to the level that some of us are at that that god will bless us even when we're not necessarily doing everything that we should but it comes a point in our lives in our walk with christ where god wants us to show him what we've learned what he's revealed to us we're not babes anymore right? We're, we're expecting blessings from God without the work that he's asking us to do. But again, the, the sons of, this, of the priests, they had no real connection with that word. They didn't understand what it was that Paul was doing. It wasn't Paul that was casting out these spirits. It was God. And because they didn't have that same relationship with God, they couldn't do what Paul did, and they didn't understand it. So again, in order to have these victories, in the opening scriptures when we talked about these two tribes, the tribe that, that was listening to what God was calling them to do, that was reacting to that call, who, was, who were building that relationship with God, they received the blessings. They received the victories. But it, it wasn't that they were a mightier tribe. It wasn't that they uh, fought better. It wasn't that they knew some secret. But it was because... They were listening to that voice, amen? They had a relationship with God. And we're all, all of us, whether it's, uh, you know, daily we're going to come to our own River Jordans, right? We're all daily going to come to these times, but there's also going to come a time where we reach that Jordan, which is the end, right? It's the end of our lives. God has either called us home or rapture, whatever it may be. And just like the Ephraimites, we're going to be asked to speak shibboleth, Amen? And so many will say, well, have I not prophesied? 
And God's going to hear Sibboleth. And they're going to say, have we not cast out devils? And God's going to hear Sibboleth. And they're going to say, but didn't we go to church? And God's going to hear Sibboleth. And they're going to, then they're going to say, but didn't we wear all the right clothes? And God's going to hear Sibboleth. And then God's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Because you see, they have a peace. You know, they wore the right things. They did the right things. They said the right things. And they came to church. But they missed the point. You know, I was having a conversation, and I hope it's okay for me to say this, but with a friend the other day, and I, I don't think I quite explained it the, the way I, I meant to. But I said, so often as Christians, we get to the point where we equate going to church with spirituality. Meaning that if I see someone who's here every Sunday and every Wednesday, I automatically think, wow, they're spiritual. They've got their stuff together, and they really have a connection with God. That's not always the case. How many times have we heard from this pulpit and many others, Satan's here more than we are. He's here at every service. He's never going to miss a time. doesn't make him a believer. And two, there may be someone who, for whatever reason, isn't here. But there might be a reason. They may be sick. You know, they may be traveling. There, there may be a hundred reasons that have nothing to do with their spiritual walk. They may still have, you know, an amazing relationship with Christ. But we are automatically equating, well, something's wrong. I can't tell you uh, how many times growing up in church that I've heard people. When I was young, my dad was a deacon. Probably not supposed to, but you overhear conversations with other grown-ups in the church, and you hear people say, well, they haven't been church a while. There must be something wrong. Maybe. But maybe we need to take the time to ask, take the time to call, take the time. Because just coming to church does not equate a strong walk with the Lord. Amen. Again, I keep going off on these tangents, and I apologize. Um, again, we, these people who are doing things that they believe that, that God is asking them to do, they have a piece of it. They're great. They might be doing great acts, but the Word itself is not in them. Amen? They never had that personal relationship with Christ. And that's where you find the Word, the true shibboleth, is in your relationship with God. Amen? It, to know the Word, amen, is to know God. And without a relationship with the author of the Bible, the Bible is just a bunch of letters on the page. And one thing we have to understand is this same Bible, the same words in this Bible that bring life, when not understood, when misinterpreted, when twisted, Words that were meant to bring life will actually bring death. So again, it's not, know, it's not knowing this Bible. I know people that are not Christians that can quote this thing front and back. But they haven't had a relationship with Christ. And that's the important part. So, you know, the, even as a minister, there's times I'm like, I wish I was one of those people that could just call up Scripture when I needed it. Would know exactly where it's at and what, you know, who said what to whom. I'm not made that way. But I learned years ago that I might still strive to try to be that way someday. But what I really want is just to have a relationship with Christ. Because I may not be able to tell you exactly where Scripture is found or which biblical character said what to whom. But through that relationship with Christ, I can give you the, the cliff notes. I can give you a general idea of what was said and where you might find it. Because I've spent enough time getting to know God 
that it, it, it's become a part of me. Amen? And that's what God's wanting us to do. He's not wanting us just to memorize a bunch of scriptures. He's wanting it to, to so become a part of us that it, it, it's just like we t- when we are talking about the things we do every day, we're talking about our family. We don't, we don't think about the facts and the minute details. We just start telling you about our day. And that's how we have to get with Christ and with Scripture is that it's just so much a part of us that, that we can just at any moment start talking to someone about what God's done in our lives. Amen? And again, the important part is that relationship with God. That's where you find the true word. Because in John 1, we're told, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't have a relationship with God if you don't know His Word. And you don't know His Word if you don't have a relationship with Him. And again, as Christians, we have to get past the point. And I I know it's important in churches and for pastors to talk about you know, the everyday things about, you know, modesty and what we should wear. But we also have to get to the point where we're more worried about our relationship with God. Because I'm sure Brother Barry will tell you, if your relationship is right with God, he's not going to have to tell you what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear. He's not going to have to tell you the things you should say and what you shouldn't say. Because God will be leading you. That Holy Spirit will be leading you. Amen? But so often we... Not necessarily just the ministry, but we as Christians, that's what we're focused on. Well, I look the part, so I'm all right. I say the right things, but I'm all right. I will tell you, the church I grew up with, I thought every young person that I grew up with was a firm believer in God. I thought when the time comes that we all go to heaven, we're going as a group. Now, if my memory serves, there's not one left who's still going to church. I'm still friends with them. I still know them. But for whatever reason, and I'm not saying that God won't bring them back in my heart. I believe at some point God will do something and they will come back. But these are people that I cried at the altar with. These are people that I got baptized with. These are people that I learned about the scripture in Sunday school with. I never thought I'd see the day that, that we would be so separated from one another. I mean, these are people who formed who I am as a person. But again, it goes back to, to, my, to what I've been trying to say is that it's not about the church you go to. It's not about, you know, and I hate to say this, but it's not even sometimes about making that choice that I'm going to be baptized because sometimes people make that choice without understanding what it is and they haven't had that experience. And it's so important, and, and I'm realizing this now as a pa- parent. I'm not there yet with my children, but, you know, I see other young people getting baptized and I think to myself, well, how do their parents know that they know? Like, how did my parents know at 13 when I came to them and I said I wanted to be baptized that I was ready? It, how did the pastor know? And I realized, to some extent, you have to take the person's word for it. I mean, I'm sure there's things you look at in their lives and, and conversations you can have, but at the end of the day, nobody knows a person's heart but God. Yeah. <laughs> but it, So even in doing those things, it's not a guarantee that someone's necessarily had a relationship with God. I have uh, you know, someone else that I grew up with, he's a little older than me, um, and he's been in the world most of his life. I heard he's just started coming back to church. But he used to joke around that uh, you know he couldn't get baptized anymore because he'd been baptized three times, and he thought three times you're out. You know he was done because <laughs> every time he thought God had done a work in his life, he got baptized. But for whatever reason, he didn't 
take that next step to, to solidify that relationship with God, right? So even in doing those things that we're called to do and God has asked us to do, it's still about our relationship with Him. Amen? And so often, you know, people uh, have told me over the years, uh, my father even said it to me one time, and we had quite the debate over it, about you shouldn't question so much. You shouldn't ask questions. You shouldn't, you know, if something is, is, is preached to you or you read something that Brother Branham said, don't question it. Don't, don't ask questions, just do it. And that never set well with me. And I will give this caveat that I've told my pastor, Brother Paula Fontaine, many times. I'm probably the hardest person to pastor ever because I question everything. Not that I doubt or I don't believe, but I want to understand it. I want it to not just to be something that I'm regurgitating that I heard, but something that I know. And I never quite understood when people would tell me, don't question, because even Scripture tells us. Because in 2 Timothy 2 and 15, it says, study to show thyself approved. Well, when you study, what do you do? You're asking questions. You don't know what to look for if you haven't asked a question. And so often we get to the place where we come and we sit in a pew. And we're like, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to listen to what Brother Barry tells us. I'm going to write it down. And I'm going to try to, you know, tomorrow I'm going to try to do better. And we just go and we try to live it. And if you're like me, a lot of times when that's what you're doing, you can never quite live up to what Brother Barry is trying to get you to do. Why? Because it's not real to you. You haven't searched it out for yourself. You haven't tried to understand it yourself. There's, I was telling my wife the other day, and I'm not... Again, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back in any way, and I'm not saying I'm necessarily right. But I told her there's been many things that I've kind of kept to myself over the years growing up, the message that I thought maybe weren't taught quite the way Brother Branham had been had ministered them or, or um, maybe someone didn't have quite enough understanding on it. But I, I, I didn't want to, to question or to cause waves, so I just kept it to myself. And I said, you know, I'm surprised because now I start hearing ministers preaching the very same thing I've thought for years. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, well, I knew it, and they didn't, and finally they're all catching up with me. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I asked those questions. I, I, in myself, I wanted to have a relationship with Christ so that when I studied things, when things were ministered, I could take those things and I could feed on them and I could think about them and I could study them. And if God showed me something, or I felt God showed me something, even if it was a little, maybe a little different than what I heard, kept it to myself, and I said, well, God, you've got to do one of two things. You've got to correct me, or you've got to show, me, you know, show other people you know, what you're showing me. You've got to fix this at some point. And God will do those things. And again, I, I, I use that example to say, had I not in myself had that relationship with Christ... I would have just thought, well, I'm wrong. Uh, you know, I'm not a minute at the time. I'm not a minister. I haven't studied like these people. You know, they know more than I do. Their, their relationship with God is better. So I'm just going to throw that out. But when you start to have that relationship with Christ and you, he starts to reveal things to you, those things are anchored in you. You, it doesn't matter. And, I, and again, I always feel like I have to do these caveats because I don't want people to take me wrong. I'm not saying that we can't think that God has shown us something and he can't show us later that we're wrong or or change our mind. We should always be open to correction. We should always be open to maybe I don't quite have it right. But we also should 
have a strong enough relationship with Christ that our beliefs are not built and swayed on what someone else is saying to us. Um, and again, I don't mean to harp on, if anyone happens to see this, because I know very often they watch, but any of my friends who have left, left the message, I don't mean to harp on them. But I've had a lot of them say, well, you know, this minister who preached for 40 years, he realized that everything we were taught was wrong. And I've often asked them, I was, I've said, well, I have two questions. One, if he was wrong, why for 40 years did you not know it? Because if you're building a relationship with Christ, if you're studying the Word, you should have probably noticed he was wrong. My next question is, if his relationship with Christ is so strong, why was he wrong for 40 years? And I'm probably not going to follow him now if for 40 years he was wrong. And again, and I'm not saying that to try to be funny. Again, I'm going back to say, this walk that we're in is individual. Each one of us has to have that relationship with Christ because there's going to come times where people are going to fall, where people are going to you know, backslide for a while. People are going to be wrong in what they think Scripture says or whatever the case may be. And you have to have firm footing on what God has revealed to you. Amen? Again, going, as I said before, going to church isn't enough. Hearing someone preach, it may give you, you know, these nuggets to live by, these, you know, low cliff note versions, but it's never going to be rooted in your heart and in your soul until you start studying it for yourself, until you start to understand what God was trying to say to you. Because again, the scriptures are a letter to the bride as a whole, but we have to also look at it as, this is a letter to me. Not, and, and I will say this, this letter to me, I'm not saying that Scripture is different for everyone. That's not what I'm saying. But this Scripture, because of what I've been through and what God showed me, means something different to me than it's going to mean to Brother Barry. And, and, and I hope you're understanding what I mean by that. But it's got to become personal for you. You know, Brother Barry, I think on Sunday, even talked about how he has a special place in his heart for people who have come out of the world because he did that. When he looks at these Scriptures, it, it's going to evoke something in him completely different than me because I was raised in the message. I do not have the experiences he has. But in the same instance, he doesn't have the same ones that I have. So it's got to be personal for us. Amen? We have to stop allowing other people to decide what our relationship with Christ is. Amen? Because as much as this is for us as a bride as a whole, it's also individual. In 1962, in God Has a Provided Way, Brother Branham said this, We send our children away to Bible school and colleges, and we learn them the Bible. What good does it do to know the Bible if you don't know the author? The Bible doesn't say know the word. Excuse me. Yeah. doesn't say to know the word. Satan knows the word better than any student in the world. That doesn't make him saved. It's not by knowing the word. It's by knowing him as a life. To know him. So again, it's not the words in scripture. It's not the letters on the page. It's the relationship with Christ who is the word. Again, you know, growing up I often wondered, you know, scriptures when it says that things were hidden from the wise and prudent. You know, you often think as a young person, well, how is it hidden? It's right there. Like letters, words make up sentences and it's all right there. The reason why it's hidden is because 
they're not seeing Christ in those things. They're not seeing what's behind that. You know, and I, I've heard this, this example been given many, many times over the years, but if my wife was to write me a letter, there would be things in it that only I would understand. You all could read it, and you would have no idea what she's talking about. Why? Because my relationship with her is different than yours. There's things that have gone on between us, things that we share that no one else will understand. And it's the same with Scripture. Only a true believer truly understands what's in Scripture, what it is that God's trying to say to us. So again, as I say, this is a personal relationship. We are all one body. We are all the bride. We're striving together. But what we tend to lose understanding is is that the body doesn't work as a whole if each one of us doesn't have a relationship with Christ. If each one of us is not working on ourselves and that relationship and what God's revealing to us, this church as a whole will never work right. It'll work here and there, but there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be things that go wrong. There's going to be, because we all have to be working as one. And so, again, we have to have that mindset that, yes, we are the bride, but this is individual to me. And that's why so many times we hear people say that if no one else comes to church, you come. If, you, if there's one, I believe, and Brother Barry can correct me if I'm wrong, if one person came and sat there, Brother Barry would still preach to you. Because it's not about a whole, it's about getting each individual one of us where we need to be with Christ. And if only one of us shows up, fine. Let's get them to where they need to be, amen. And we have to, we almost have to have that, that split understanding. We come here as individuals, but we do it to better the whole, amen. And also, too, in, the, in our opening scripture, if you remember, the Gileadites, it said, said unto him, say now Shibboleth. Him is singular. It wasn't the leaders of the tribe. It wasn't a group. It was an individual. One person came at a time. And they asked each person. And that's exactly what it is for us. We are individuals in Christ who make up a whole. We have to be focused on ourselves. Again, Going back to what I said earlier, that so often we're looking at how God is blessing this person or maybe how that person isn't coming to church, and we forget that who we should be focusing on is ourselves. What is it that I'm doing? Am I doing what God's asking me? Am I coming to church the way I should? Am I praying the way I should when I wake up in the morning? And I will say this. A friend of mine told me right before I got married, he said, if there's anything that you struggle with or anything that God's trying to change in your life, you'll find out when you get married. Because once you start living with someone else, you realize you're not as perfect as you thought you were. Um, and, and I, I begin to see these things that, you know, even in marriage and as a family, now that I have two children, you know, so often I can maybe look if things aren't going right or, you know, we're not getting along or the kids are being crazy and I can think, well, if they would just do better. Well, if they would just... But what is it that Brother Branham in Scripture teaches us? They aren't going to do better until I start doing better. But we live in this world that tells us it's not fair that I should have to do it until you all do it. But that's not what Scripture tells us. We have to be conscious and aware and responsible for ourselves first. You know, it's for any of you who have flown on a plane, what do they tell you if something bad was to happen? And the the oxygen mask comes, comes down. Put one on first. Why? Because if you don't take care of yourself, you're no help to anybody else. And I've, I've begun to learn it's the same in the family. If I'm not taking care of where I need to be spiritually or, you know, I'm not praying through so that I have the right spirit throughout the day, no one in my family does. 
it's my responsibility, just as, just as much as it's my re- wife's responsibility to set the atmosphere around her, it's my responsibility to set the atmosphere around me. And in turn, we as a family set the atmosphere. Amen? Again, we have to understand it's not about, you know, I belong to Hickory Bible Tabernacle. I told this story once that, and Brother Barry probably knows because he's been to a lot of the camps. Whenever you go to the youth camp and someone introduces themselves or asks you your name, the first thing they ask you is, what church do you go to? And I always found that funny because I think subconsciously we believe that if I know what church you go to and I know who your pastor is and I know what he preaches, I know who you are. I know what you believe. That is not true. <laughs> because, you know, I believe in my heart that every one of us here is a believer and that every one of us strives to do our best. But there may be someone here that doesn't believe anything that Brother Barry preaches. And just because you sit in this pew and you listen to him on Sundays and on Wednesdays doesn't mean you do. We can't make that assumption. So it's not about what church you belong to. It's not about that your pastor is Brother Barry or that mine is Brother Paul or that yours is Brother, you know, fill in the blank of who it may be. It's not even that I belong in the message. You know, I, I, I've told my wife for years that, and there, I will tell you, I get a lot of eyebrows raised when I say this, but I started to not like to say that I'm part of the message only for the fact of it started to mean something that I wasn't quite okay with. Um, To me, it started to feel like um, almost denominational, if that makes sense. And I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. I'm not trying to to knock the message. I believe it with all of my heart. But I I feel like it started to, it was almost a way of saying, well, I'm okay. I'm part of the message. Don't worry about what I do. Don't worry about what I say. Just, you know, it's okay. Um, And so I started to, people would ask me, and I would just say, well, I'm a Bible believer. You know, I go to a non-denominational church, not because I wasn't proud of the message, but I just felt like it had become something almost like saying, well, what church do you go to? And automatically, you know, people just assumed you were a certain way or, again, another tangent. Um, But I say that I love my church. I'm sure you guys love your church. I will tell you, I love this church. I, I tell my wife all the time I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because I feel like I have two homes and two churches. I come here and I feel comfortable. Um, I feel like I've always gone here and I go back home and I feel like, uh, you know, that's where I belong and I'm at home. And I appreciate that Brother Paul and Barry are so similar that I can go back and forth. <laughs> they may not feel that way, but... <laughs> and, and I'm proud to say that I'm a message believer, but none of that means anything if my relationship with Christ isn't right. Amen? In 1964... <laughs> Sorry, you still have me laughing, Brother Barry. Brother Branham said, And the mighty God unveiled before us, he said, And so you see the thing it is that God is calling an exodus to come from behind the fleshly curtain who tries to impersonate, who tries to join the church, not Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian altogether, but Pentecostal churches. It is an individual affair. It's you and God. You have to go in. Not your group, not your church, not your pastor, but it's, who you, it, but it's you who has to go in. Do one more quote here. In 1954, in, the, in Jubilee, he says this. Um, I'll be taking it. Uh, sorry, my friends, you don't know how I love you. You don't realize that when I'm, that I don't try to scold you just because I stand in the pulpit. I'll be taking advantage of you. But what I'm saying to you tonight, be warned of the gospel, flee for Christ. 
Lay aside everything. Don't wait for Mrs. Jones. Don't wait for it to start in the church. Start it in yourself right now. And again, this hits home that this is individual. So often, you know, you hear people who, who pray, you know, we need a revival in our church. We need God to do something. And they sit and they wait for God to do something. And I will tell you, and many of you probably can attest to this as well, but when those revivals happen, it usually doesn't happen as a group. It starts with one person. You know, for instance, back, uh, I think it was 2012, a group of young people after retreat got together and God moved just in, in a friend's house in a mighty way. And out of that group, I think we ended up with quite a few ministers just in that group. Just one night, they were just all together and praying. And each one of those young people went back to their church. And they went back to their church with the, you know, not to do it in a superficial way, but with the goal to, when I get to church, if no one else is raising their hand, I'm going to raise my hand. If no one else is standing, I'm going to stand. If no one else is going to pray, I'm going to pray. And I will tell you, for probably a year after that, all you heard is every single one of those churches started to have a revival. It didn't start with a group. It didn't start with a whole church. It started with one young person. And some of those people, when I say young people, I'm talking 16, 17 years old. Because at that point, what God had done for them, they realized it was individual. You know, so often is uh, when we're new Christians and we're in church and we go to raise our hand, we look around to see if anyone else is raising their hand because we don't want to be the oddball. Or, you know, if... Someone does, a minister does an altar call, we'll wait to see if anyone else is going to be the first person to go up. And what I'm, I'm trying to get across tonight is that we have to stop worrying what it is everyone else is doing. Even our other fellow believers, if God is calling you to that altar, it may be the last time. And I don't mean to say that in like a scary way, but you know, just my own personal, God's really been showing me here lately. Many of you may know this, but... Almost about a year ago now, I lost my dad. And it wasn't expected. Uh, he had actually gone to the doctor and got a clean bill of health. They told me he was very healthy for his age. Uh, he got sick with what he thought was the flu. Um, he got up in the middle of the night, and from what my stepmother tells me, he looked at her and said, I'm having trouble breathing. He inhaled one time, and the Lord took him. And I say that to say, not to get all weepy, but to say, he didn't know his time was done. He didn't know that that was the last day. He was. We didn't know. I'm thankful to say my dad served the Lord his whole life, so I know he was ready to go. But so often we're looking for, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll be better tomorrow. I'll go to the next altar call. The next time I feel God calling on my heart, then I'll give my heart to the Lord. But you don't know when the last time's the last time. And this may shock a few of you, and again... I quite often get people raising their eyebrows at me, but as much as I've said this isn't about what church you go to, this isn't what, who your pastor is, I'm also going to say something that, again, some people it may shock you at first, but it's also not about following Brother Branham. What we believe is not about him. It's about the message that he brought. It's about him pointing us to the relationship that we should have with Christ. And I know that because Brother Branham said it himself. In 1951, in the message, the angel of the Lord, he said, And Moses of old was committed. The Lord committed him to two signs to do before the people. And he performed those signs one time, and that was all he did. Israel believed from then on and followed the leader. Why these signs are not for you to follow me, but to follow what I tell you. 
And that sign is this, that you are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will lead you. And again, I'm not trying to take away from Brother Branham's position. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to him. But he even said as a prophet of God, he said, you're not to follow me. And sometimes I, I get so confused on why that people still seem to follow him or raise their eyebrows when I say we shouldn't because if you believe he's a prophet and believe what he said was of God, then when he says don't follow me, don't follow him. He had a position. He had a reason for coming. He had a job to. He had a calling that he answered. But our calling isn't to follow him. Our calling is to follow the Christ that he pointed us to. Amen? No, I'm always, when I talk about that, I'm reminded of, again, I should be careful because this is the story I used when I talked about needing a wife, but um, when Eliezer went to find Rebecca, when he, when he went to find Rebecca, he told Rebecca of Isaac. As they traveled back, she asked questions to learn about Isaac. But when she saw Isaac, what did she do? She jumped off the camel and ran to Isaac. No more was it her relationship with Eliezer. No more was it, Eliezer, tell me about Isaac. Because now she had seen Isaac for herself. Now it was, I'm going to have a relationship with Isaac. There was no need anymore for Eliezer. And again, I love Brother Branham. Even though I never met him, I genuinely love him. But we have to get to a place where we're not looking to Christ through Brother Branham. But we're looking to Christ and Christ alone because that's what Brother Branham told us to do. Amen? Again, I just want to again give some more examples about Scripture that showed us how important that intimate relationship with Christ was. If you remember in the story of when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, I don't know how many of you remember that story exactly, but when he arrived at the house where Jairus' daughter was and the crowd began to laugh at him, what was the first thing that Christ did? I'm going to read the Scripture real quick for you. Mark 5 verse 40 and 43. And they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. The first thing he did was send the crowd away. It wasn't about a group. It wasn't about, let's all do this together. It was that personal, intimate relationship with, Dar- or with Jairus' daughter and her family. Just lost my place. I apologize. One bad thing about technology. Again, when he asked the the crowd to leave, and it became about that intimate relationship, that's when life was restored. It wasn't in front of a group. In, In fact, Christ told them, Tell no one. Why? Because it wasn't for everyone. It was for them and for them alone. You know, I, I've so often told people that, you know, I've had friends ask me, well, how do you know God is real? How do you know what you believe is real? And I struggle answering that question, and I'll tell you why. Because what God has done for me to anchor that in my soul, I could tell you every one of those stories, and it will mean absolutely nothing to you. Because they were for me personally. Because I have told them to people, and people start picking them apart. Well, how do you know that was God? How do you know? Because I lived it. I was there. I know what happened. I know what I prayed. I know prayers that were answered and things that were said to me that nobody knew I was praying about. There's only one thing that way that could have happened, and if that that is if it was God. 
But me telling those stories to people, now I've told them to other believers, and they, you know, like always, you appreciate everyone's testimony. But it doesn't do the same thing for you that it does for me. Amen. But we have to get to the place in our lives where we're so interconnected with Christ that we couldn't deny Him if we wanted to. Scripture tells us Peter tried. Peter, when, when Jesus was crucified and they, and they came to Peter and they said, Are you one of them? Peter tried his best to deny that he was. And what did they say to him? He said, you're, they said, You're one of them. Your speech betrays you. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be so connected to Him that the very things that we say give away who we are. You know, I've always, and I've heard other ministers use it, but I've always loved the quote that says, you know, preach Christ continually, and when necessary, use words. And the reason why I say that is because we need to, the word needs to encircle us and become so much a part of us that we don't even have to say anything. That just being who Christ has made us to be, that people see that. And again, I'm not in any way trying to pat myself on the back, but I can only use examples in my own life. But I remember when I was in college, I got a job at, at the mall, Sears actually. And I was working in the sporting goods section. And never told anyone there that I went to church. Uh, never tried to, to you know, convert anyone or, or talk about scripture. I just went to work, did my job, and went home. And a little while after I started there, they started giving me a nickname. And my nickname was Church Boy. And I remember going up to one of them one afternoon and I said, Why do you call me that? Like, what have I done that makes you call me that? And he said, nothing. It's just something about you. And I remember thinking, as much as the name aggravated, I thought, well, God, that should make me feel good. That I didn't even have to say anything, but they knew. And, and I struggle every day to continually live up to that. And I don't, always, I don't always hit the mark. But that's what Christ wants us to become. He wants us to become so ingrained with him that people just know. There's a light about us that people just know we're one of His. Amen? We have to stop being satisfied with just sitting in a pew twice a week. Right? It's time for us to stop making you know, our pastors, our ministers, the first person that we reach out to when something's going wrong or, or we have a need. And, and I'm sure Brother Barry would agree with me that He'd be much happier if you called him and said, Brother Barry, I've prayed about this for weeks, and I just want you to pray with me. As opposed to, Brother Barry, I need you to tell me what to do. Because by you praying, it shows that your first reaction is to reach out to God. Because, and I hope I don't embarrass you by saying this, but I've had a lot of conversations with Brother Barry about things that are happening in my life. And I've told my mother-in-law, scares me to talk to Brother Barry because I will call him and I will go on for 45 minutes about what I, you know, what's bothering me, what's happening. He goes, Jared, I don't know if he remembers this, but he told me, he said, that's not why you called. And then he spent the next half hour telling me why I really called. And I said, yeah, that's really what... For whatever reason, God allowed him to understand what I needed. And I, and I like anyone, that makes me feel good. And I'm glad to have someone that I can call, whether it's my pastor or another minister who can... Help me through things. But when that becomes my first reaction, i got to call Brother Barry. i got to call Brother Paul. I have this need. I need someone to pray. Something's wrong. My first reaction should be calling out to God, praying myself. I mean, it, it would be like, you know, 
if something was happening to me personally, my wife being the last person I go to. After a while, she'd be like, you know, what about me? She should, when it's something personal with me and something going on in my life, she should be one of the first people I talk to. And that's what Christ wants from us as well. Again, as I said earlier, it's time for us to stop expecting great things. And I know we're all tired, and and I'll try to wrap up quick, but with it being a Wednesday, but it's time for us to stop expecting God only to move on Sundays. It's time for us to stop expecting that God only moves when certain people are behind this pulpit. Because you want to know when God moves? When you come here expecting Him to do it. Whether it's a Wednesday, a Sunday, or you come here on a Friday by yourself. If you're expecting God to move, it doesn't matter who's standing here, God's going to do it. Some of the greatest times of fellowship that I've had with God have taken place in some of the weirdest places. I remember one time I was just ironing a shirt for work. And it was like a revival happening in my living room. No one else was there. It was just me. But just God met me in a way that I needed that day. And there's been times that I've come to church and I haven't felt that. And I say that again to say it's not just about being in this building. It's important to come here. But we can't say, oh, well, I have a need and I need a touch from the Lord. I've got to wait till Sunday. Because if that's what your mentality is, you will wait till Sunday. But if you come and you say, Lord, in my car, in my house, at work, wherever I am, this is my need and I need you to meet it now. He's going to do that. Amen. If we have a relationship with Christ and that word is anchored within us, it's going to open every scripture Every promise and every blessing. Amen? When, when we start to live that relationship with Christ, we will be so busy basking in the blessings that God's giving us, we won't have time to look at what God is doing for other people. We won't have time to worry about, you know, why, why is that person doing this or, or why is God doing this, their, this in their life? Because God will be doing it in our own. But to do that, to enjoy those rewards, to to gain those victories, we have to answer the call that God's given us. Amen? Again, in our opening scripture, when the Ephraimites were escaping, why did they head towards the Jordan? Now, when you read that scripture and you think, why didn't they just go somewhere else? Why didn't they, you know, if they knew that someone was waiting there, why didn't they go somewhere else? They were fleeing in that direction because that direction was home. That direction was the promise that God had given them. That's where they were headed. That's why they were going there. But had they known that in order to reach home, to reach that promise that God had given them, that they were going to be asked to utter the word shibboleth, I have to imagine if someone had stopped them on the way and said, just so you know, there's a bunch of guys up there waiting for you, and if you can't say shibboleth, you're dead. I have to imagine they would have stopped and they would have started Sibboleth, Sibboleth, saying it over and over again until finally they could say Shibboleth. But they didn't have that foreknowledge. But we do. Christ has given us Scripture to tell us what it is that we need to do, how to gain that relationship with Him. So when that day comes that we stand before Him and have to give account of our lives, we're ready. We have been given something that the Ephraimites were not given. Now is, that, is the time for us to start learning to say shibboleth. Now is the time for us to take that word and make it real in our lives. Now is the time that each and every one of us has to set ourselves apart.
We have to be willing to be different. We have to be willing to not care what others think or what others are doing. You know, often we'll say, you know, we'll say, if you're anything like me, you know, I've tried to speak the word. I've tried to hear his call. I've tried to live victorious. It just doesn't seem to happen. I keep keep stumbling. Things keep, you know, I say, you know, Lord, I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to pray. And for some reason I can never do it. Or, Lord, I'm going to pray before I go to bed, but I fall asleep, you know, kneeling on the side of my bed. What do I do? What you do is you you put one foot in front of the other. And, again, you say, shibboleth. You put one foot in front of the other and you say Sibboleth. And you keep doing that over and over again. And eventually, your body's going to conform to your confession. And you'll start to say Sibboleth. That word will start to become real. So often we give up because it becomes hard to the flesh. It becomes uh, uh, tedious to us. But if we just knew, if we just kept trying and we kept pushing, that eventually we'd get there. Amen? try to find a place to close here tonight but we we want to get ready so when the time comes and we stand before the lord we can hear him say well done thou good and faithful servant we don't want him to say depart from me i never knew you scripture tells us that jesus said i am the way the truth the life no man come to the father but through me that right there that one scripture should send chills through our body if we understand that that's how simple it is. That relationship with Christ, that's the answer. It's not all these, these, you know, the do's and don'ts that we make it, the doctrines that people fight over. It's about that relationship with Christ. Jesus just wants that personal relationship. When Moses and the Israelites, you know, came to the Red Sea, what, and, and they started to cry out, and they thought that the, you know, the end was near and that, all that they had done was for naught. What did God say? He said, why cry? Speak. See, Moses had spent 40 years in the desert getting to know God. So when God uttered those words, he heard it. And he knew what to say. And because of that, they walked across in victory. Amen? God's calling each and every one of us to speak shibboleth. It doesn't matter if we're a new Christian or a veteran of many years. God's calling each of us to the same thing. Now, we have days, sometimes we have seasons when we aren't living up to that calling. We all know that, you know, there's times that we're, we know that God is asking us to do something and we're just not quite there or He's revealing something to us and we're just not quite there. We all have days when we try to speak the Word and it doesn't come out right. We try to say shibboleth and we say sibboleth. But I want us to understand, we, we can't say, this isn't for me. We can't say that, you know, I've been raised in the message. I know more than this. This is simple. This is a reminder to us all that God is requiring us to become one with the Word. God is wanting us to answer the call when He calls us. And again, I'm not talking about quoting Scripture or the message. I'm talking about having the Word anchored in your soul. And I'm going to close here in a minute, so if the musicians want to come, you can start doing that now. But we have to go to a place where just like Christ, we can say, I do nothing but what the Father shows me. That's what He's calling us to. Because if we don't have that word anchored in our heart, if we have not answered that call, we'll start to see things slip in our lives and we won't even notice. It'll become harder to hear God's voice. 
those things that sound good that others are saying will start to confuse us and will start to question our walk with God. It must become part of who we are, so ingrained that like Peter, we couldn't deny Christ if we tried. And I know we're all tired tonight. And this is probably the longest I've ever preached, so I apologize. But as tired as we are, and I know we all probably have things to go home to and things to get up to, don't tonight, if something is spoke to you, it's not me, it's God. Don't say, well, I'll think about that tomorrow. Don't say, I'll try to be better tomorrow. If you haven't given your heart to the Lord, don't wait. If, you, if you've strayed a little bit, if, if things have slipped into your life that shouldn't be there, don't wait to make that change. If you find that you're distant from God right now, you don't hear the voice like you should, don't wait. He's here tonight. We may be tired. We may not exactly feel it. We may not be jumping up and down, but God said where two or three are gathered, He would be there. There's more than three of us. Whatever your need is, don't leave. Don't leave until He's answered it. Because we don't know when it'll be the last time we get to ask. We don't know when it'll be the last time that He'll call us. We need to speak the Word. We need to solidify that relationship with Christ. And we need to claim our promises tonight. Amen. Lord bless you all. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and have your way. And as we wait, as we Resting, it's not.
find the strength of the Lord. So this is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all Father, we feel very much like we're a part of a group. We're, we're, we're taught in Scripture that we're part of a body. But Lord, the way you deal with us is as individuals. And Lord, may we never forget that personal touch that you want to have in our lives. And Lord, we're not going in because we're part of a church or even part of a family. But Lord, individually, we all have a walk with you. And Lord, we are so glad to be identified with the body of Christ. But, Lord, may we never lose sight of the fact that you speak to us personally. And, Lord, may we always learn to develop a way. May we always sharpen that sensitivity, Lord, to be able to hear your voice when you speak to us. Have your way, Lord, we pray. We ask, O God, that you administer to the sick and those who are needy tonight, Lord. Those that are still going through times of mourning, we commit them into your hand, Lord. Ask that your presence would draw near. Father, the balance of our week, Lord, and the men's meeting that's upcoming and all these different events, Lord, that take place in our lives, Lord, we just want to see you glorified and honored. It's not about us or it's not about things that we've accomplished, Lord. It's about what you do and who you are to us, Lord. Have your way, we pray. and We give you thanks, Lord, for the, just the, the, the simple way, Lord, that you make your word so real to us. We'll give you thanks and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen and amen. How many are glad you came to church tonight? Amen. Singing as you go tonight, God bless you. This is my desire.
worship you. broken down 